I'm your host, Bree. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Bree podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro to how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Chanel Holder. Chanel, who uses she, her pronouns, is the CEO and founder of Maturing Mama magazine. This magazine displays honest content about the real struggles of motherhood that are often hidden or made fun of in the media through editorial blogging and social media. She is the wife of reggae musician Josiah Yarish, a mom to two girls, Esperanza and Isabella, ages seven and four, and a screenwriter and actress. Hello. I'm so excited to chat with you today. How are you? I am doing really good. A little bit tired because we've been binging Stranger Things, but no spoilers. No spoilers, please. I'm gonna try so hard. I will. I will end this recording. Do not spoil this. I have to go back and rewatch it. It's been so long. You watching? Oh, you know. Yeah. Okay. Quick sidebar. So I am currently right now working through the show Doctor Who. Oh, is it good? So I I love this show. Like I'm. I've always been really into British television. I love like David Tennant and Matt Smith, but I do not like Peter Capaldi as an actor. He just freaks me out. I feel like he's not a good doctor in my brain, but they have a female doctor and they have like this new black dude doctor that's coming up. So I have to watch through Peter in order to get to the other ones. And so I told myself I'm not allowed to watch any other series until I finish Doctor Who because that's like, I'm like the worst TV binger ever because I'll just leave a show and not go back to it. And no. so I need to do that. Like I have so much TV, like I need to watch Mandalorian. I need to watch, I need to watch all the, like the Star Wars spinoffs. Then I have to go back and watch Stranger Things. I haven't, I don't remember it all. Cause it's been, you know, the kids were like so tiny now they're like grown ups, and I'm unwell about it. <laughs> um, but then there's also like other TV shows. Like I want to watch Under the Banner of Heaven on Hulu. I want to watch The Staircase on HBO that they're doing. So I have, I have plenty of things to watch. I just got to get through this dang Doctor Who moment. So I do this to myself. It's fine. I love the commitment. I love the commitment. I need to finish it. So here we are. But I have found like, I'll just avoid TV now because I don't want to watch <laughs> Doctor Who. It's fine. Like this weekend I watched a cult documentary and I was like, it's fine. This doesn't count. So there you go. It's fine. Anyway, not what we're talking about today. Um, I am excited to talk to you about the topic you brought to me today about representation in media, specifically television. And a friend and I, we had a similar conversation on the show before, but it was about, you know, finding queer people in media. Um, But as a Black woman and you picking this topic, I started going back and thinking of like, what representation have I seen 
in television with me living in the States and you're based in Canada, if I'm correct. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I'm going to let you, you started of like the, the, the impact that has had on you, um, the impact it's having on your children. You have mixed race children. And I was obviously looking at your Instagram, your kids are adorable. I must point out. Um, and then looking at their hair texture, cause we spent a lot of time talking about hair when we, when we first got on, um, and what that's kind of meant for both your girls and for you. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, <clears throat> I want to start from the beginning. So I'm originally from Trinidad. I don't know if you know Trinidad and Tobago, small mm-hmm. island in the Caribbean. Um, yeah, and so growing up there, it was it's interesting. We were in poverty. We were in mm-hmm. poverty. We always had cable TV. We were there were weeks we were just eating rice, but we could still watch Full House. Mm-hmm. You know, like so we grew up, and my mom has my mom. She always said she felt it was important for us to have cable TV because she was a teacher and she Mm. was all about us learning about different parts of the world and learning about different styles of storytelling. And yeah, so that's what we grew up doing. Now, the first time, the first memory I have that I see the effects of the lack of representation, I was four and I was raised in a Christian home. So, you know, Jesus. And my mom would talk about how, oh, when we get to heaven, we're going to be perfect. And when she said that, me at age four, I said, okay, so I'm going to be white. Mm. I'm going to have blonde hair. I'm going to have blue eyes. Like, I'm going to look like Mary-Kate Nashley, right? And she's like, no, no, what? You know, and now I let, oh my gosh, I look back on that. And I'm like, what the, like, a four-year-old saying that, her idea of being perfect is this. Mm-hmm. And even growing up, another thing too, just not seeing people that look like me in mainstream TV. Now we also had TBS. I don't know if you remember TBS, mm-hmm. which is now Peach Tree TV. And like, even like Nickelodeon, like some of these different channels, they had specifically black TV shows that mm-hmm. was it was geared toward black people, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of the time it was Southern black. Right. And so we did watch those, but of course, no matter what, there was a difference between mainstream where it was everywhere. Everyone was watching it in comparison to solely black TV, full black audience made for mm-hmm. yeah, black cast. Um, now there was one movie that came out. I was a little bit older. I was eight. And this was my first time seeing a dark-skinned, kinky-haired woman in an interracial relationship. I don't know if you know Karina Karina. Mm-mm, no. Whoopi Goldberg. No. Oh, child. Really? I'm going to have to go. I'll Google. I'll Google. I'll watch really it. just died. Rest in peace. Really. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was about to cry. He was the Zac Efron of his time. I, oh, I know Ray Liotta. I just haven't seen the movie. Okay. So it's this beautiful romantic comedy that came out when I was around like seven or eight or something. And it's a dark skinned woman that's a nanny to a white man and his white daughter and the white man falls in love with her. The white man is Ray Liotta. And when I saw this, I remember it scared me. Mm. Like I looked at it and I was like, no, 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 no. She, she needs to be white no, that doesn't work. She's not white. And it just gave me this anxiety and frustration because of course, when we watch TV and movies, we put ourselves in the position of the lead character. So for me, I, 
I felt uncomfortable yeah. as a little girl. Um, something else I remember, uh, my older sister, so my, my sister is six years older. I have an older sister. I have a twin sister as well. So my older sister, six years older, obsessed with Backstreet Boys. You know, Backstreet Boys. Who, who I, was it? Who was it? I love them too, right? Yeah. Because of course I was learning from my sister. Um, one day I was trying to be really cool. I was about like six years old, went up to my big sister. She's a teenager. And I was like, so Sherry, if you can marry one of the Backstreet Boys, which one would you marry? And she just like scowled at me like, Chanel, the Backstreet Boys, they're white. They do not like black girls. Mm. They would never marry a black girl. And I was like, wait, what? And it just like that hit me. Just, and I don't know, like for some reason growing up, like, I don't know if it's because I'm from a small island and there was all like dark skinned people all around, but I was always intrigued by white men, white guys. And I saw them a lot on TV and, you know, so always like felt that they were attractive, but then just knowing that, no, they, none of them like black women and that's normal. And then watching TV and seeing that it was always a white girl. It was always a white girl that the, the handsome white guy would fall in love with. And that was so hard mm-hmm. moving to Canada then and feeling that like confusion of like, are, are white guys attracted to me? And most of the time they weren't. And even just feeling suddenly like it's, it's something that's strange when you're an immigrant to, and you suddenly become a minority mm-hmm. and you enter and you think to yourself, I could be whoever I want to be, you know? And growing up it was, yeah, I'm Chanel. I'm just Chanel. But then I moved to Canada and I become a minority. I'm an immigrant. And this was at 11 years old. And suddenly people are saying things to me. White people are saying you're whitewashed. One girl, my, my, this memory still gives me frustration, anxiety, and sadness. I feel like I'm going to cry when I think back to this memory. This girl looked at me. She's white, blonde hair, blue eyes. Do you know this rap artist? Do you know this rap artist? Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you know this? Uh, no. Oh, girl, I'm blacker than you. And it hurts. I feel like it was like in that moment, I started watching more BET. I started trying to figure out what are the ways of me proving to this world, this society in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, that I'm black and that I'm proud to be black. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it was stereotypical. A lot of it was what the media was showing where content that it was actually a white person that wrote Mm -hmm. a black person's story mannerisms ideas and I decided oh okay that's how I'm supposed to act and so I was the girl then that was getting followed when I'd be in a store because I looked like that girl you know or people are assuming that I did something wrong or like if I'm in a classroom and somebody did something bad oh let's talk to Chanel first Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is the representation that's in the media right now and it's this feeling of oh, this is the way that the world perceives me. And if I don't act like that, then I am not black. And I have to make sure that I show myself as that. And that's wrong. So suddenly there's this realization after the Black Lives Matter movement that happened, producers are suddenly saying, oh, wait, we've not been helping. You know, like, so I'm, I'm an actress, so I'm friends with a lot of creatives and a lot of my friends are contacting me like they're looking for black content. They're looking for authentically written black content. And I was like, wait, 
what? I can actually tell my story. And I've, I've been screenwriting since I was like 12 years old, but I write white leads, mm-hmm. you know, because I thought, oh, nobody's going to read it if it's a mm-hmm. And suddenly I'm like, wait, I can actually write me. You know, and especially as an actress, it was like, oh, I don't have to put myself as the best friend. I can put myself as the lead now. Mm-hmm. And I can tell a different story. I don't have to be stereotyped. Um, yeah, so there was just this excitement about it. And there was a lot of different like, town hall meetings with like CSA, um, I don't know, cast- Casting Society of America. So they did a town hall meeting. They had all of these, like basically the Black actors and actresses who have made it in mainstream media they had mm-hmm. all of those like if I if I called their names you would you would know uh like you know community mm-hmm. uh so Yvette I think it's Yvette mm-hmm. uh, she plays Shirley so she was there and, and like just a number of people that when you look at them you're like I know them I know them I see them everywhere literally in every single tv show movie and the topic that they were talking about was the fact that we are not allowed to play anything other than the struggling gang person or like the the person that's fighting inequality or or you know like it's always the same message that we have to play or 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 the over dramatic you know like mm-hmm. and they were talking about how okay yes we can play anyone we want to be we are all trained actors and actresses but at the same time do they trust us to play like would, would you trust Katniss Everdeen being black Mm. would you trust uh in the office I don't know if you watch the office mm-hmm. Pam Beasley would you take Pam Be- Beasley as a black woman mm-hmm. you know there's 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 all these shows where it's just like okay if we Kimmy Schmidt Kimmy Schmidt would you take Kimmy Schmidt if she was Kimberly Johnson right <laughs> you know and it's like we we can play those characters, but would they accept us? Would they yeah. accept this as our story, or would they say that's a black person playing a white person's story? Mm-hmm. Well, that makes me think of one of the shows I'm obsessed with, and have been since oh my god, 2014, um, The Flash, which is on the CW. I mean, yeah. I love they, Candace. They film here in Vancouver. Uh, I know, and I die. Um, <laughs> love Candace Patton more than I probably should love any human, but I love her. Um, And as a comic book superhero nerd girl growing up, knowing that like Iris was always written or drawn as a white woman. And the CW, I think, has done a great job with their diversity as a whole, like that whole um, network of, you know, queer storylines and interracial couples and, you know, different people, you know, who were typically written white and they didn't do that in casting. And so, and even still now that show is going into its eighth or ninth season now, and people are still mad that Iris is black, but still, still. And so the guy, um, Grant Gustin, who plays Barry, the main character, he has come out time and time again, even before Black Lives Matter, it was like Iris, Candace Patton is Iris. And if you don't like it, you don't have to watch this show. Yeah. We're never going to recast her. Yeah. So, and just having that sort of allyship with him, like, and I also love Grant, um, but just like seeing that sort of camaraderie and support for her. Um, also like Jesse L. Martin, who plays her dad, who I've loved Jesse L. Martin forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, from Law and Order to Rent to just everything he's ever yeah. been on and him being such a powerhouse actor and him being on that show and you know, it, it, I, I don't think he got as much 
sort of backlash as being cast as she did and just having to watch her over the last like eight years navigate that and the CW coming out and defending her, obviously. But, you know, watching that, too, is them being an interracial couple who I think, you know, Iris having her own thing going on aside from them being together. Spoilers if you haven't watched the show. Um, But just watching that, too, of like, you know, as a person who I have dated many people from all different race backgrounds, um, I grew up in a very diverse place. But thinking about growing up where I grew up and seeing television representation of black women of all types of shades and body types in the media, like we have everything from like living single growing up with like Queen Latifah and you know, a bunch of other black women on that show to, you know, Moesha with Brandy to That's So Raven to, I know the Cosby show is problematic, but back in the day before it was um, the Cosby show of like it being a prominent black family. I mean, Fresh Prince, um, we had UPN with like one-on-one and like all these different black television shows that then were just like cut when there was a, when there was a merger, like the WB and UPN merged to make the CW. And that's when all feel like black shows were canceled and I think there was a sort of like I don't even know what the word I'm looking for but it was like an erasure of black media in the early 2000s it's like up until you know then we started getting you know Gossip Girl and Veronica Mars which I love Veronica Mars not Veronica's fault um One Tree Hill which is still one of my favorite shows but there was maybe what two black people on that show ever and they're in North Carolina you're telling me that y'all can't find any black people in North Carolina I have family in North Carolina I have a lot of family in North Carolina so I'm like I know that these people exist and you know now the women that are on that show talking about that too of like we did such a terrible job with diversity in the early 2000s for sure um and I think like you're saying that sort of resurgence around the Black Lives Matter movement of seeing that, you know, people will come and Black people specifically will come and watch things that they're in. And we see this what happened with Black Panther with a full Black cast and Ryan Coogler being the director, a Black director. Um, we just, I just watched Moon Knight on Marvel. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, and it has like a lot of, it's an Egyptian lore sort of comic superhero. Um, but the director is Arab and, you know, the main female um, actress in the show is Egyptian and you know, just knowing what that has meant for people who are also in that culture, like to have someone portrayed positively on a show has been impactful for them. And it's just like, for me, it's just lazy. Like, why is the default always white? And I, you know, because we all know white supremacy is deeply steeped in everything. But, you know, I I've totally under like hear you the last two years of like this sort of like, oh, we need to to do better and have representation. But then also for you to go back, like when you said to your mom of like, when we get to heaven, we're all going to be perfect. That really got me of like, oh, I'm going to be white and blonde and blue eyes. And I'm like, even I talked about it on the show before, like I grew up in a very diverse place, but I mean, I was a, I was a product of the early 2000s when it was like super thin, super white, super blonde, the low rise jeans. We are never, I don't know why they're bringing these back anyway. Um, but I ended up developing an eating disorder when I was 12. So I was like, well, I can't be white and I can't have long hair, but I can be thin. And, you know, now it's been something I've been dealing with my whole life. Like I just did an episode about eating disorders um, with my guest two guests ago, talking about, you know, what that looks like and how, you know, even though I grew up around so many black women, diverse women in general, but specifically black women in my family of all different 
body types and shades, both married and unmarried, with children, without children. And I never heard one woman in my family talk badly about her body. And yet still me being societally pressured and ending up with an eating disorder because of representation in the media. And it's, and I, and I just don't think people understand how if you don't see yourself, you will try to grasp onto whatever you can identify with. And so I was like, well, I know I'm a good person. I have friends. I'm smart. I'm funny. I'm attractive. But, you know, people always love the thin white girl with the long hair. So what I can do is be thin. And, you know, I I just don't think people really understand like how detrimental not having representation in the media is, especially for younger children, you know, people in adolescence and puberty, and it kind of just really holds on to us as we get older. Yeah, it, it literally, it does not, it doesn't go away. It, it mm-hmm. forms your way of thinking. Like for me, I've also, um, I've been a victim of like abuse from, cause I'm married into a white family. Mm. His family, they have been emotionally abusive to me. And a lot of what I heard when I tried to make amends with them and I tried to be open and say, hey, you know what, you guys did this and it's something that has scarred me. It's something that I am still going to therapy for. And one of the excuses that they kept going back to is, well, we just didn't know you. Well, we just don't know you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I don't understand. And so literally like, there were times where I would have these emotional breakdowns with my husband. And the words that would come out of my mouth is, why can't I just be white? If I was white, they wouldn't put me through this. If I was white, I wouldn't have to hear this from them. They wouldn't have to keep questioning my motives. They wouldn't have to keep questioning my ideas and the things that I see as normal, that they say there's something wrong with that. So there's something wrong with her. The fact that she stands up and she speaks out about things boldly and she's not afraid of of confrontation. Like I, one of the things that it's like, no matter what, there are like, yes, there are stereotypes about black women, but there are also things that it's like, this is just the way that our culture is. And the one thing about our culture is that I feel like black women, we're not afraid. Nope. We're not afraid to address things. We're not afraid to, hey, you have a problem with me? Let's try to talk about it. You know, so that at least I know if I need to walk away and stay away from you, I know why. And we're not going to just pretend. Yeah, you know? like, <clears throat> I always give people the, I, <laughs> I learned this very early in life of like, I'm not for everyone. And that is okay with me. Exactly. Like, and I tell people all the time, like, I would rather know that you don't like me than for me to keep trying to get you to like me. Like, exactly. and once I know, we are fine. Like once I know you don't like me, I'm like, oh, great. Like I can stop trying because it's like, if you don't like me, that has nothing to do with me. And so I am, I know it's not my place to apologize, but I'm so sorry that you have to deal with that. And like black women just can't exist ever. And, you know, this makes me think back to another conversation I've had with a friend of mine as like, we're both single she's a, she's a little bit darker than me. We're both black women in Austin. Um, and we've talked about how like Austin is such a white city and dating is so hard here Mm -hmm. and kind of feeling like you were saying before about like, just feeling like black women kind of get the bottom of the, the barrel. Like we are like the last option. And like, when your sister was like a black tree boy would never date a black girl. And I'm like, well, I mean, we still hear it now in the media, like black men who come forward and like, oh, I wouldn't date, like, I don't date black women. Like, it's like this disgusting thing of like, 
we are supposed to just be grateful if someone looks at us twice and we're supposed to be grateful when like we're taken on crappy dates and we're supposed to be grateful if we're looked at twice. And I'm like, no, I've unpacked all that. Like that, that has nothing to do with me. And I don't take that on. Like I have been in therapy since I was 15. I just got a new therapist. Um, and, and being in unpacking that and journaling and just being very much like this has nothing to do with me. So I'm not taking it on because if not, it will kill us because we're expected to, show up and like you were saying before like be the funny sidekick break the tension but then if we break if we speak up and talk about things that really matter and you know defend ourselves then we're seen as confrontational angry um ungrateful and it's like you would never call one a white woman any of these things if she stood up she'd be brave and she'd be outspoken but you would never say like a white man is bossy or he is you know, causing a scene. It's like, no, I'm just trying to, I'm not yelling. My voice tone has not changed. You just don't want to listen to me. And so you're going to negate what I'm saying by saying that I am angry and loud and confrontational and rude and a bitch and all these other things. Like, no, I'm just trying to exist. And y'all are putting these labels on me. So you don't have to unpack your own crap of racism, misogyny, um, all these other things of just of, of putting it on me and making me the problem versus looking at yourself as the problem. Exactly. It's, and the weight that that carries into our everyday, mm-hmm. for example, um, my husband and I, we, uh, we got this car because uh, our, our van broke down and we had just an in-between car, a little dinky little thing. And I wasn't used to it. We pull up in Walmart, get out of the car, get the kids out of the car. And I'm standing a little bit too close to the car. I'm not used to it. My foot was under the wheel. And for some reason, my husband thought because my daughter couldn't get out of the back seat, there was a pole. So mm-hmm. he thought, well, I'll just back up the car a little bit. He backed up the car ah, no. onto my foot. I'm in the middle of the parking lot in Walmart. And I'm just like biting my mouth like, don't scream. Do not make a scene. There are a lot of people around and you are the only black woman in this mm-hmm. parking lot. Do not make. And I'm literally like, Josiah, please move the car up a bit you're on my foot. And he's like, I'm not on your foot. You're joking. I'm like, you're on my foot. He's like, no, I'm not. You're on my foot. Move. He's like, okay, moves the car. And then I show him my foot. I had to be in like a boot and everything. And he was just like, I'm so sorry. You didn't scream. You didn't. And I'm like, of course I did not. I couldn't. Only black woman in that entire parking lot. If I made a scene, they would have called the police. Yeah. (laughs) like you were in in, and I just I think about that too like we have to even when we are in physical pain we still have to think about everybody else we have to I tell people like being a black woman is talking about like constant navigation code switching (laughs) being aware of our surroundings being aware of our tone being all of our body language being aware of what we're wearing like it's always I have to explain everything and I just get tired of I'm like I just I'm not doing it anymore like like I have a really good friend and we travel together often and she's a white woman. And so, you know, we've had this conversation of like her privileges don't come on to me. And after we've had to have these conversations, like what that looks like for me and and how we navigate. And so like, she'll, we have to be, it's a, it's a conversation we have often. Cause I'm just like, you can't yell at a dude in a Trump truck because he's going to take it out on me. He's not going to attack you. He's going to attack me. Even if I'm not the one who says it, I'm just there. He's going to come for me. 
because I'm not, I don't, I'm not allotted the same safety. Him killing a black woman on the highway is not going to be as steep for him killing a white woman on the highway. It's going to be different for him. Um, and just having those conversations with, you know, a lot of my friends who are white of like, you around me have to imagine literally you were in my body and constantly think about the navigations that I'll have to deal with because I don't, because you don't have to. And, and telling them that's what real allyship looks like is like, you have to constantly think of me, imagine you are me or another black person or another person who is marginalized. You were, you are not white when you were out with me and, and how that conversation has changed a lot for people. Now, the problem with that going back to the media and representation now, for example, I could tell you what it's like to be a redhead girl that's been living in a bunker for however long and finally came out into the world. Like Kimmy Schmidt. I could tell you what it's like to be this quiet, shy girl in an office trying to get this guy's attention, you know, trying to get out of her shell. I could tell you what it's like to be all these different white women that I have watched and gotten excited about watching their movies, TV shows. I can tell you that, what I believe that that's like. I've written stories based on that because I get I get it. There's mm-hmm. so much out there for me to get and understand about what it's like being a white woman in this world. So now for there to be a representation, constant representation of a dark-skinned woman in these different scenarios, what is the impact that will have for those people that are watching mainstream content? And it's not just this overdramatic, over-stereotyped person, but it's actually real genuine stories where we, so like the stories that I write as a screenwriter, I'm taking ideas that are funny, quirky, or thrillers, scary, action-packed, whatever, and I'm putting a Black woman in there, and I'm Mm -hmm. saying, okay, now for me as a Black woman, how would I respond to these different scenarios? And suddenly you get my perspective on things. You know, without it being this exhausting, like, oh, it's the uh, woman living in the ghetto in the Bronx, or mm. it's, oh, it's another slave movie, it's another slave TV show, you know, like, those are so exhausting, mm-hmm. even for me, I'm exhausted, I don't want to watch those all the time. You and know? it's like, we're so much more than that, right? Like, why is that the only thing that people, like, think about when they think of us, too, like, we have so many more deep stories. And I think that's why like so many people in general, not even just black people, but people in general connected with the show Insecure by Issa that was on for five seasons, which wasn't long enough, but I digress. Um, and how she just let like 30, 20, 30 year old black people just exist. Like no trauma, no shootings. They weren't in the ghetto. Like they just got to be living and existing and navigating life. And I think that's why so many people loved it. Cause it was like, we can, we can just tell our day-to-day stories and not have to dramatize or, you know, victimize ourselves in order for it to connect with other people. Like, and I never, I've never watched sex in the city. Cause I don't understand how we had four white women living in New York and not one of them had a black friend. We'll never, <laughs> we'll never can understand that. Um, but, you know, I know they have a reboot now. I'm still not going to watch it. But just thinking about that, too, of like, how are we in these like or like friends in New York? Like, how are there six white friends and not? And, you know, we had one of them date a black girl. Ross dated a black girl for in a he had a black girl and an Asian girl. 
And I think that was like the only like representation I ever saw on that show. And I was like, y'all live in New York and you're telling me that like you never interact with a person of color in your building, at your job, like in the coffee shop they always hung out in. I'm like, okay. And so it's just like, sometimes it feels like it is just, it is more work for them not to have people of color. Like it's like they made that choice to not do it because it's like you're saying there are people black actors black writers black directors who are out there but just never they just never thought to include us in their stories unless they are being you know black people are you know are being saved or what have you and I think about you know the first time I really think I saw like actual full tv representation was with Grey's Anatomy which is probably why it's still on after like 30 years um black creator Shonda Rhimes yes fucking bless Shonda (laughs) and you know the the importance she put into the diversity of that show you mean you had all these different races of people yes but then you know queer storylines and you know just in you know interracial relationships and all these different things and Shonda never wrote it like it was like a shock to anyone like people just got to exist and I think you know when she did you know, scandal, same thing with scandal. You had Carrie Washington, a black woman with the president, which her being his mistress was always a little weird to me, but I'm going to let it go. Um, <laughs> and then you got how to get away with murder. And, you know, she's now done Bridgerton and all these other things like Shonda Rhimes literally, I think, set the tone for what it looked like for like full immersive diversity in a TV show and how it can just be normal. Like, I think Shonda did a good job of just showing like, this is real life. (laughs) You go to work and you do see black doctors and female doctors and and all these different types of people who are just interacting with each other and have a mutual respect for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing that is, is difficult. Like for me as an actress now, Mm -hmm. if I just want to like take another uh, route here. Yeah. Um, So one of the things that I've had to, in a sense, be okay with the lighter skin you are, the softer hair you have. If you have some black in you, production will take that as we now have a black representation. Mm-hmm. If there is a lead role and they've asked for a black woman, if there is a dark skinned woman and there's a light skinned woman with softer hair, they will take the light skinned woman with softer hair. It's yep. happening time and time and time and time again. And they're proudly professing, all right, black representation. Now, as a mom with mixed kids, for me, one of the things that I feel the need to have a conversation with my kids about, okay, for example, this is gonna be a little bit difficult to hear. My six-year-old came to me. This was, yeah, this was when she was six, she's seven now. She came to me and she said, I feel sorry for you because you're so dark. I would never wanna be as dark as you. And I said, we, we need to have a serious talk about that because you know what? That is not okay. You never, ever, ever say that to anyone that is dark skinned mm-hmm. ever. And it was an ongoing conversation oh, yeah. about why that is very, very wrong. Now I know, especially in the States, like I, and I hope I don't push any buttons or whatever, but especially in the States, in the States, if you are a person with any amount of black in you, you are simply black. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, my conversation with my kids, especially even my youngest, my youngest, she looks very like she could be anything else but black when you look at her at times. Like people have said, your daughter looks Indian. 
your daughter looks Latina. Your daughter, like, they're all confused. Like, are you sure this is your daughter? You know, because her hair is very soft, very silky straight, and she has very light skin. But I have to have these conversations with my daughter, and I plan on making it more, like, right now it's just light, but I plan on really getting it through to them. Hey, there are privileges that you have because you are light skin, mm-hmm. soft hair, you can be mistaken as other ethnicities. You have privileges that dark skin black people do not have. So when you speak up and you talk or you fight or you talk about injustices, understand that your injustices are very different. You know, and it's very it actually it's hard for me because like I've had like, for example, my in-laws, they had a friend, a close family friend who they kept saying, oh my gosh, we have this friend that's black. We have this friend that's black. We have this friend that's black. She came, they're like, oh yeah, can we invite her to your wedding? She came to my wedding. Oh my gosh, you have to meet our black friend. I'm looking through the group. Okay. And they're like, here she is. Where? Literally, it's this girl that looks, she looked, she looked, to me, she looked white. But they said she was black. And I was like, okay, sure. Who am I to deny her blackness? Yeah. I guess she has a black parent or something, you know, but I'm like, okay, I, for me, and you know what, this, this is just me, you know, and this Mm -hmm. is me being from Trinidad, growing up in Canada, you know, for me, when you are not visibly that dark skin, kinky haired, you go into certain stores and you can't find your shade of foundation and you got to go and ask for it can you please ship it in you know or you have to pay extra money for your hair care because the cheap Mm -hmm. stuff really isn't working you know like there are all of these struggles that make it harder for us that also when we go into acting for me as an actress and I'm hearing the dark-skinned actors talking about how they're using creams to lighten Mm -hmm. their they're making sure that they have their Caucasian wig available for when they go on their auditions you know and like and of course I'm I'm wearing a Caucasian wig right now but that's because my hair is falling out I have an iron deficiency right now but you know and hey you know what to each his own if you want to wear a wig you want to wear a wig and that's fine but that feeling of I have to make sure that I have this look or else I will not get cast or else I will not get looked at Mm -hmm. or considered that's so unfortunate Mm -hmm. but it's there yeah real yeah i think about gabrielle union who i feel like is like the top tier of black acting like i fucking love her i love her if you haven't read if you haven't read her two memoirs i highly recommend because they're both fantastic um but i think it's in her second book where she talks about you know the navigation of like having to do her own hair (laughs) before she came to set and i'm just like she was one of the main characters and it was a bring it on, I believe. Like you were a main character and you had to like still, she was no, and it was like no one knew how to do black hair. Um, she was also, she made the point too of like how like all of the black characters in bring it on never had a last name, but like all the white characters had a full like backstory developed. And I was like, holy crap, <laughs> they certainly didn't. Like it just said like first name and then like whoever was playing them, like they didn't have a last name. Um, and I think about that too, of like, you know, you were just talking about like dark skin and hair. Um, then I also think about like body types too. Like I think Lizzo, may God bless Lizzo, of the conversations and 
feathers she's been ruffling being a black woman in a bigger body and just being like, no, I'm attractive (laughs) and you're going to be okay with it. And if you don't like the way I look, you don't have to look, but I like the way I look and I'm not going to be ashamed of my body or feel like I need to lose weight to be good for you. And, you know, I, I think about all these white actresses who lose weight and everyone's like, oh my God, like now she's great. And I'm like, why like talking about <laughs> rumor not rumor um rebel wilson yeah i'm like no shade but i like i loved fat amy mm-hmm. i love fat amy now a movie that i cannot stand is bridesmaids we don't have to get into it but i can't fucking tell movie. i do not find it funny anyway but looking at her in that movie i was like that wasn't even her funniest and i still think she was great in that movie like i think i only an accent for that she's british oh no no that's i'm thinking of another one there was another one that was a wedding one and she had an an american accent and she had a very small role and i was like eh, she wasn't even in there but anyway yeah no i think about that and then i also um i personally i'm sure they're both fine people but i cannot stand lena dunham and amy schumer And I think it's because of like this whole, like, I'm a white girl in a fat body. I go, you're probably a 10, like a size 10, mm-hmm. maybe a 12. Like you're not a plus size anything, but in like, quote, white girl culture, they're fat. And it was just listening to them, you know, when I was older, probably like in my early twenties of just like Lena Dunham being on girls. And again, I feel like girls was, I didn't watch girls. Cause I just, I don't want Lena Dunham. Um, but, you know, hearing the sort of like backlash for girls being problematic and all these other things. And, you know, it's just it's just always been so interesting to me, like how we continue to set the tone for what black acting should be against white acting when I feel like it is completely different. Like, yes, acting is acting. But like you're saying, like, we're never going to be we're not really looked at for the same roles and we have to navigate so many other things. And, you know, I, I've really just enjoyed enjoyed the freedom of watching black women just be mm-hmm. as actors like mm-hmm. going back to like gabrielle and candace and all these and you know the women who were on gray's anatomy and carrie washington and, and um, viola davis and just like really being like no we have powerhouse actors and it is not in spite of their blackness it is like included in their in their magic of being these fantastic actors and professionals and you can't take that away from us like you can't act like we're not great because just because we're not white Mm -hmm. exactly um i don't know if you saw uh, sonic (laughs) have you seen Sonic? no okay so james marsden his wife and sonic dark dark like darker than me his wife was black his wife is black and i just about cried when i saw it because i have this thing where like whenever I see a good looking actor and who he's attracted to, to me that that's important. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see a good looking A-list celebrity in a love story where it's a dark skinned, kinky haired woman. And in Sonic, James Marsden's wife is darker than me, gorgeous black woman. And I I like I didn't even really like the movie Sonic, but I had to watch the second one too because I'm like, we have representation. James Marsden's wife. Oh, his actress is is Tika. She's she's really well known that I now that I realize who she is. Um, but yeah, her and then I also think about oh my god, I gotta look him up. 
from Dawson's Creek. Mm. He played Pacey. Hold on. <laughs> Joshua Jackson. Mm. His wife in real life is a very dark skinned black woman named Joni Turner, Turner Smith. <gasps> and I didn't realize it until this year. They were at what awards just happened? Was it the Met Gala they just went to? And she looked stunning. And I was like, he looks fine. But she looked like breathtaking. Oh my gosh, my heart. My I heart, just I my... just showed <laughs> oh Chanel the photo. Like his wife is a dark skinned black woman, and he is like obsessed with her. And I'm like, huh love it like you see yeah. that's that's my thing especially it's just that when you put can, can we like I literally I spend a lot of time scrolling through Instagram pages that are like black women white men because I love seeing that like I don't know for some reason like there's that for me there's that value mm-hmm. and that we can, we can get the guy do you see that guy that all the white women are chasing afterwards yeah his eyes can be on me well, that's like, I think what David Bowie and Iman, I mean, what that meant for like pop culture when they were together. Mm. Like, and it's so sad. Like we still have to be like, no, like we're wanted. Like the fact that the love of my life, Michael B. Jordan um, <laughs> is dating Lori Harvey and just being like, no, like I love my black girlfriend and just like, or Idris Elba being married to his black wife. Like, I still think it's still such a thing that we have to constantly navigate and unpack of like black women are wanted. And I, and I don't think people understand that, like what that does society, like you were saying at the beginning of the show, like we never got to see us being wanted on mm-hmm. TV, really in movies. Like, yeah. yeah. A lot of it is the, uh, like, so I had a, I had a producer read one of my screenplays and this one was in, particular this was the first feature that I wrote where it was a white man falling in love with a black woman Mm -hmm. and what he brought up to me was hey here's my concern it's that white savior idea that's coming through and I'm like can you stop Mm -hmm. like I'm like what what is the problem because you know what this is something that that is at the core of a love story is the white man wanting to protect the woman wanting to protect her heart wanting to be her knight in shining armor and you're saying that you have a problem with the fact that the black woman can't fight for herself in this movie that's not what i'm saying though (laughs) at all it was it was so like it hurt it hurt me when he said that i was like and he was like i think you should really rethink the, the plot line you should really go back and just like really cha- like make her fight for herself and I'm like, mm. do, you, like do, you, do you understand how hard it actually is for a black woman to allow someone else to fight for her number one that and like you were but also bringing back to what you said about like your your family that you married into right like even you know, I'm going to use my cousin for example my cousin was dating a black man and his mom would always like get a little out of line his mom is black and would still like come crooked at my cousin mm. and she said to him like I'm not going to argue with your mother because I'm, I'm not going to do that I need you to step up for me and so it's also like yes I am strong and I will do it but I also just don't want to have to do it especially like, if it's someone I'm like especially if I'm married to you and these are your people, I need you to check them. So if I check them, it's going to be a different attitude. Like they're not going to come for you. Like they're going to come for me. Exactly. And if I come for them, we're probably never going to see them again. So <laughs> we need to, 
need to have that convo because I'm I'm going to defend myself. Yeah, but they're not going to hear it in the way I'm going to say it. like we talked about before. My my defending myself to them is going to come off angry and bitchy and I have a tone and blah, blah, blah. But it's like like you said before, you would never talk this way to a white woman. And so well, how dare you? talk this way to me and so i think it is very realistic that a husband would be standing up for his wife especially if they're an interracial couple so mm-hmm. tell the producer i said he can kick rocks because now I'm alone. <laughs> tell him to call me and we'll have a, a whole conversation because you're an idiot yeah but this is what i am i mean you know no matter what like i'm i'm having a lot of meetings with producers with production companies talking to them they're they're excited initially mm-hmm. they're ex- I send them the email. Hey, here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. Here's my mission. And they're like, yes, yes, let's talk. I want to read your work. Let's talk. But then mm-hmm. it's like the simmer of like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Cool. So glad we did this. And it's right. like, okay, I'm looking at my watch. So are, do I need to ask you if you're, are you actually in? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, inter- we're interested. Okay. How long does this how many right. people do you have to convince in your, okay, I'll wait, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's just this constant, like being met with the enthusiasm of like, oh yes, this is the answer I'm supposed to give because I'm supposed to support this movement. Yes, I'm supposed to. Right. But then it's like, okay, but now how are you going to take action? And are you actually going to follow through? Yeah, I'm trying to find a book a friend of mine sent me that was written Oh my God, I read it last year. It was a book. Here it is. Um, and it was an r- adaptation of The Great Gatsby, mm. but written from the perspective of Gatsby being a Black queer woman. Oh. Chopped here. I read, it. It, I read it in a day. Like it's called Jay the Great, and it's by Benjamin Frost. Okay. And it was a book that I like really loved. And it was like, it was just so good um yeah it's on the amazon it's it was just so good i love that i love that that's the reality of it is that when you put like um when i was doing that a uh, csa town meeting um one of the things that a lot of the actors were saying the black actors were saying is that do you realize that you can actually even though you feel like you've not written us our appropriate content you can put us in a character that was meant for a white person mm-hmm. and we will put ourselves, yep. we will do the work of putting our perspectives and putting our ideas into that character. No matter what, you will get a taste of who we are. We can do the rewrite. Right? Yeah. That's like, I'm always like, again, Watcher Hill is my favorite show of all time. And I was like, if they ever do a reboot, I want to be in that writer's room. Like I want to be with the same characters who I still love deeply, but I want them to have more diverse friends, more diverse patrons, like everything that happens. I'm like, there should be, it's North Kara freaking Lina. <laughs> <laughs> like, then that, that's the one show I always think about. Like also like I never finished gossip girl, but I'm always like, I think about that too. Again, New York, a melting pot. You're telling me like none of these white kids had preppy, rich, white, black friends, please please like it's for me it's just lazy like it's just lazy so Mm -hmm. yeah well it's just it's time to just do something about it and that that's that's basically where I'm at I am just it's it's a lot of endurance Mm -hmm. it's very easy to feel like what's the point right 
you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, it's not, it, nothing's happening. It's not actually, no one actually cares. Or, or we maybe, do, we maybe do. Not, if I'm no one else, the right thing, maybe it's not, it's not right. And, but yeah, definitely a lot of it is these ideas of like, oh, what are they seeing in my story that is, oh, no, you're making, you're making us look bad or, 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 mm-hmm. oh, no, that, that looks like this and we don't want it to look like that, you know, or these different ideas that it's like, that's right. okay. It's okay if, if these ideas are coming through and people will learn to be okay with it. Yes. Ugh. This was great. I will just keep writing. That's all I'm going to say. Let's keep yeah. writing. Uh, well, is there anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So there's Maturing Mama magazine, uh, just displaying a lot of raw, genuine content about postpartum depression, anxiety, struggles with motherhood. We're putting it in a light that is making it more easily accessible. So you don't have to do a ton of Google searches in order to find mm-hmm. content about the realities of motherhood, trying to make everyone feel like it's okay if you feel like you're messing it up. Mm-hmm. This is just motherhood. Yeah, all about that genuine, authentic content. And uh, yeah, people can keep up with me, uh, Chanel J. Holder. That's my Instagram handle. And uh, hopefully in Jesus name, in no time at all, I will be announcing that. Oh, hey, I sold it. We're on the go. We're going. Can't wait. We can't <laughs> wait. And I'll be sure to link all the things in the show notes. Um, I'd like to ask one final question of my guests at the end of every episode. And that question is, what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Okay, the best advice I was given, this is going to sound weird, but is to keep smiling. It's very, it's something that's very simple, but uh, the time that somebody told that to me was when my teeth were very crooked and I had a very big chip in my front teeth that I got when I was nine years old and we could never afford to fix it. I hated my smile. But when I found out about Jesus's love for me and the fact that he created me as just Chanel, who is important and I matter, not because I'm black, not because I'm not white, whatever, Chanel. And I just had this joy inside of me and I just wanted to smile all the time. And people could see, I think they could see that there was like some struggle with that, but the fact that I just wanted to smile all the time, but my teeth were so messed up. And to have this one person say, you need to keep smiling. And I was like, you know what? Yes, take me as I am. Take me with my joy and my crooked teeth and it's all busted up, but hey, I'm gonna smile. And now I have braces and I'm still smiling even though I have a mouth full of wire, I'll keep smiling. Still your joy. I love that. I love that. That's it. This week's episode of the Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Tea with Brie. Send me an email at the Tea with Brie at gmail.com and visit the website, the Tea with Brie podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Bye.